We're in Hebrews chapter 5, going to read for us from verse 11 down through verse 3 of chapter 6. If you'd like to follow along, we'll put it on the screen for you. Chapter 5, verse 11, we have much to say about this, that is about Jesus' high priesthood. It's like the priesthood of Melchizedek. But it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Chapter 5, verse 11 begins an extended parenthesis that will run through chapter 6, verse 12. Having just launched into the hard-to-explain teaching about Jesus and what he's doing now in heaven as our high priest, the author suddenly breaks off so that he can get something off his chest. That something is not hard to explain, but it is hard to say because it's going to hurt his readers. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, before we examine those wounds, let me say a word about the passage here and the warning sections in Hebrews generally. Too often people come to these passages to pick a theological bone. They look for evidence to support their side of a 500-year-old theological controversy over whether or not a follower of Jesus can lose his salvation. That question may merit our attention. I'll let you decide about that. But it was not our author's intention to answer it. If you come to this text with the goal of buttressing your theological positions or defeating your theological opponents, you'll almost certainly miss what the Spirit is saying to the Hebrews and us. The inspired writer is deeply concerned for their well-being. He's worried that they're at risk. The warning passages in Hebrews come from a pastor's heart, not from a theologian's head. Now, it's folly to separate the heart from the brain. But that is exactly the thing I don't want us to do. And that many people coming to these passages do Don't come to this text to find support for your theories. Come to hear the voice of the living God. Now, verse 11. We have much to say about this. Christ's high priesthood in heaven now, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. We have much to say about it, and we have much difficulty in saying it because you're slow to learn. The NIV slow to learn translates more literally as you have become sluggish, read dull, lazy, in hearing. The use of the perfect tense, it doesn't come out in the NIV, but it's there. You have become implies that it wasn't always the case. There was a time when the Hebrew spiritual hearing was good, but they've become hearing impaired, spiritually speaking. They have suffered hearing loss. There is a significant emphasis 
in Hebrews placed on hearing. Let me give you a few verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That same quotation from Psalm 95 is repeated in 3.15. And then 3.16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? 4.2. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. And then 4.7 repeats that verse from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Our author understood the importance of good spiritual hearing. He knew that spiritual hearing can increase in acuity or decrease. And that's enough to make the difference between a richly satisfying and a sadly disappointing Christian life. The chief reason for spiritual hearing loss is found oddly in the heart. The condition that Hebrews repeatedly calls the hardening of the heart. When we hear God speak to us through the Bible, through a sermon, a book, a friend, a radio program, and we postpone obedience or carry on as if we hadn't heard, that is, if we harden our hearts, our ability to hear will immediately decrease. If we continue doing so, we will become profoundly deaf to the voice of God. If that happens to you, proximity to good teaching will not help. Jesus himself could stand in front of you and you would miss what he was saying. That actually was the case when he was on earth. It was just for that reason. Jesus said, for this people's heart has become calloused. There's that hardening of the heart. They hardly hear with their ears. When, excuse me, when Mount St. Helens erupted on a May morning back in 1980, a very odd thing happened. If you remember, people were killed, 57 people were killed, 250 homes were destroyed, 47 bridges, 15 miles of railway, 185 miles of highway were destroyed. The mountain itself lost 1,300 feet of elevation in the blast. The explosion was 400 times stronger than an atom bomb, and it could be heard as far away as 600 miles. And yet it was possible, and here's the odd thing, to stand near the mountain and not hear any explosion at all. There were people who were rescued within a few miles of Mount St. Helens who didn't realize that it erupted. They thought that the sky had darkened because a storm was approaching. Those people were standing in what's known as a zone of silence. The surge of the eruption sent the sound of the explosion upward into the atmosphere, and then it bounced back to Earth several times, actually, but in intervals outward and away from ground zero. So people standing on the shores of Spirit Lake right under the shadow of the mountain didn't know there was an eruption unless they were looking up into the sky to see it. Just so we can find ourselves in a spiritual zone of silence when it comes to hearing God's voice. We can be in close proximity to the word of God and totally miss what he's saying. If you're in such a place Getting more and better teaching won't help. People often think, if I just got better teaching, if, if the teaching was just like, like Alistair Begg, then I would be fed. doesn't work that way. 
when people are in this place, there's one thing that will help. To go back to the last thing God spoke to them and do what he said. As soon as they do that, their spiritual hearing will begin to improve. Just like that. Now look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 and imagine that someone was saying this to you. Think about how you'd feel. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths. In Greek, that's something like the basics of the beginning of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. It'd be hard to take, wouldn't it? These faithful wounds of a friend. Please note that our author is not belittling the elementary truths. They're necessary. In fact, these men and women need to learn them all over again. A Christian can no more do without the elementary truths of Christ than a house can do without a foundation. Now, this whole text makes clear that all of us are in the process of development. In the Christian life, no one stands still. But development, we find out, is not always upward. It can also be downward. At any given moment, even this moment, we're either moving toward wholeness and Christ-likeness, or we're moving away from it. We can do either, even while we're sitting in a church service. You need milk is, again, it doesn't come out in the NIV, but it is, again, a perfect tense verb. You have become in need of milk. In other words, these people were regressing. They were going backward. That's a real danger. None of us in this room is where he or she was at this time last year. In the spiritual life, you can't stay where you are by doing nothing any more than a canoeist on a river can stay where he is by not paddling. You're either becoming closer to God, stronger in spirit with a better understanding of truth, or further from God, weaker in spirit with a poorer understanding of truth. Now, what is it that our author has in mind when he speaks of the elementary truths, the basics of the beginning, which he describes as milk? He lists some of these things, I think, in the first two verses of the next chapter. Among the elementary teachings about Christ, he includes repentance, faith, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection, and eternal judgments. These are the beginnings, the basics, the milk. Even a Jew who did not believe in Messiah Jesus could agree to the fundamental importance of these things. All of these teachings can be found in the Old Testament Judaism. But that's all the farther these New Testament Jewish Christians had gone. They would follow Messiah Jesus as long as he stayed within the borders of traditional Judaism. If there was a Christian take on repentance, faith, baptism, that was all very fine, and they would adopt it. But our author wants to take his readers further. In the teaching that he just introduced, and we get back to at the end of chapter 6, about the high priest of Jesus, the high priesthood of Jesus, and all that goes along with it, the insufficiency of the Jewish sacrificial system, the incompleteness of the law of Moses, the conclusion of that law in Christ, our author goes beyond traditional Judaism. He says things a traditional Jew would find offensive. Will his readers follow him? Are they ready to commit themselves wholeheartedly? Or are they just going to play religious games? 
That's his concern. Let me repeat, these elementary teachings are important. They must be taught. They're lessons from the Christian primer that must be understood and applied to our lives. So how are you doing on that? Do you understand what repentance is, for example? It's one of the basics. How it relates to your life. How about faith? Do you understand what it is, how it grows? How to act on it? What about baptisms, the resurrection, repentance, judgment? We can't skip these things and jump ahead to the advanced instructions. Failure to understand repentance and faith and what they have to do with resurrection and judgment will handicap us in our daily Christian life. We need to learn these things. But once we've learned them, we can't just sit back and assume we're done. These truths form the foundation of Christian living. Once we have them firmly set, we need to build a life on them. Following Christ was never about mastering doctrines or correctly filling in all the blanks on a Sunday school handout sheet. Any more than going on vacation is all about locating the best roads on the map. Knowing the best roads will be of inestimable value. But at some point, you have to get out and drive on them. Some people memorize the roads. They know the map by heart, but they never go for a spin. Or to change the metaphor, they lay the foundation and spend the rest of their lives tuck-pointing it, but never build a house on it in which they can actually live. These Hebrews were in real danger of that sort of thing. And our author sees that as a tragedy. Now, he continues this theme in verse 13, but he changes the image. He warns his readers that anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness or the word of righteousness. Milk here is the easy-to-digest teachings about repentance, faith, and the other topics mentioned at the beginning of chapter 6. People who can't get beyond that are in their spiritual infancy. They haven't cut their teeth yet. They're not ready for, and the word translated not acquainted, means something like they are unskilled or inexperienced with the teaching about righteousness. Some teachers see in that phrase a reference to justification by faith, since the word translated righteousness could also be translated justification. But I don't think that's what's in mind, and for two reasons. First, our author is contrasting the teaching about righteousness with the elementary things. But surely, justification by faith belongs to the elementary things. It's foundational. But second, because this is one of six times he uses the word righteousness in Hebrews. And each one seems to have to do with a righteous lifestyle, not a righteous standing. The mature are acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. They're skilled in applying God's word to daily life. This they do, verse 14, by constant use, they've trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That is a wonderful thing. They're able to distinguish good from evil. Imagine what that would be like in your life. An opportunity is offered to you. Should you take it? You weigh the pros and cons. You get advice from friends and spiritual leaders. But think what it would be like if you were able to distinguish good from evil. How do you get to that place? By diet and exercise. The diet is solid spiritual food. The exercise is the training to which verse 14 refers. In Greek, both the word exis, 
from which we get our word exercise, and the word gymnazo, from which we get our word gymnasium, are used in that verse. When a person lives on a diet of good spiritual food and uses life as a gymnasium to train until he knows God's voice and is sensitive to God's spirit, he will be in condition to distinguish good from evil. And that person will be an asset to his friends and to the body of Christ. That training or exercise involves listening to God speak through the Bible, through sermons, through friends, through promptings, and immediately acting on what he said. A person who does that will make great progress in the walk of faith, and he'll do it in a short time. Sometimes you run across a person who in one or two years has progressed further than some believers have in 40 years. The reason? Diet and exercise. You can't separate them and still get the results you want. Now, maybe you're sitting here on this fourth Sunday of the new year and you're thinking, but I'm in terrible spiritual shape. I'm flabby. I have no energy for God or the things of God at all. I'm just hopeless. That's not the voice of God speaking. It may not even be your own voice. It may be the voice of your adversary. Listen, nothing is hopeless when God is our hope. Try this. Remember back to the last thing God clearly spoke to you. When you remember what it was, and God will help you with that, just ask him, then do it. That simple act will have a profound impact on your life. You can build on it. Perhaps you need a refresher course in the elementary things. Talk to me or to one of our elders or a brother or sister whose life you admire. We can recommend a book, do a Bible study with you, help you get started. The one thing I hope you'll not do is say to yourself, there's no sense in even trying. I'm a failure at this kind of thing. I have good intentions, but I never stick with it. God must be so disappointed with me. God loves you. He wants you. Not some new, improved version, but you. I like the story that Philip Griffin told in a sermon about a sign he saw for a lost dog. He said there's a cash reward and then a description of what this poor dog looked like. It said, he's only got three legs, he's blind in his left eye, he's missing a right ear, his tail has been broken off, he was neutered accidentally by a fence, he's almost deaf, and he answers to the name Lucky. Really? Lucky had been through a lot of bad stuff. And yet he was lucky to have someone who loved him and who wanted him back. That's how God feels about you. Whether you've been through a lot of bad stuff or not. Only he doesn't think of you like an owner thinks of his dog, but like a father thinks of his son or daughter. Let's pray now. I ask you, Lord, to speak to us of your love, your desire for us. 
work in our lives in ways that will build us up, make us strong. Men and women who are skilled in the word of righteousness. For the sake of Christ's body and for the sake of your glory. Through Jesus. Amen.